This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 709 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I am your head number one, and my name is Matt Baum. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, but you can call me your head number two. In this episode, we're back to reviewing new stuff from the last two New Comic Wednesdays. After that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week. And finally, Indiana Jones may be 80 years old, but that's not stopping him from making new movies. So we're going to take a look back at his first ongoing Marvel series from the 80s in your preview of our Patreon Extra. We're calling it Indiana Jones and the Secret Mystery of the Unnamed Segment. So grab your best bullwhip and get ready to swing into review time in the ziggurat! I feel like we could have workshopped that a little bit better, but all right. Joe, you throw me the whip, I'll throw you the comics. Our reviews begin with six comics from last week, and then we'll jump to six from this week. As always, we'll apply our completely unscientific buy it, scheme it, or leave it ratings to the pile. And this one features the Hulk's new hairdo, Lemire's Return to the Bones. <laughs> I should have read that before I said it. No, I was hoping you wouldn't. The Maker and his erect helmet, holy cow, and more. Ooh, very phallic all of a sudden. Hey, it's their fault, not ours. <laughs> but it all starts with the death of an adorable talking bear. New comic with Wednesday, June, Wednesday first. We begin with Wild's End, number one, from Boom! It's 30 pages. It's $4.99. This was written by Dan Abnett with cover art and letters by INJ Colbard with additional material by Nick Abnett. Here's your solicit. Journey to an alien-occupied interwar England, courtesy of the award-winning creative team of Dan Abnett, who works on Warhammer 40,000 and Immortal Red Sonia, and INJ Colbard, who worked on Salamandre and Tales from the Umbrella Academy, with Nick Abnett providing additional material. Out at sea during the invasion, our intimate crew of unlucky voyagers returns to a world they once knew. Their once cozy seaside home, now occupied by alien invaders! We don't really see that in this issue, though. Combining a rich cast of anthropomorphized characters in the tradition of Black Sad and aliens unlike any you have seen in the spirit of War of the Worlds meets Wind in the Willows. Wild's I would End, argue we still have not never seen them. Yeah, we haven't seen them yet. Wild's End is a world unlike any other you won't want to leave. I completely forgot that I had read and reviewed previous chapters of Wild's End years ago, way back in THN 225. But with Jeez, the, me too. Yeah, this is, he's done a few of these. It did look very familiar, though, the logo for sure. I was Definitely. like, I think we've read this before. But with the first page, it all came flooding back to me. This new chapter follows a crew of a fishing boat that was at sea when the aliens attacked the mainland. And Abnett's story really takes its time only introducing the actual plot in the very last few pages. The rest of the story is an equally compelling anthropomorphic slice of life in a small English fishing village story that I probably would just read, even if aliens never showed up. 
Colbard is a master draftsman and understands that less can be much more with his very stripped down thin line pencils. His animals each have character and little details that match their personalities that Abnett came up with. Like the two cats in this story, they, they have these offset black and brown faces. So they stand together. The black side is both on one side and the brown side is on the opposite side, but they're not related. They just look alike. Yeah. Like they're not even Siamese cats, right? Which is a a, a trope with anthropomorphized uh, cats in storytelling. They're just weirdos. They just look alike. (laughs) You can tell that these two creators are either reading each other's minds at this part or paying very close attention to detail. Even Nick Abnett's extra material in the back, which mimics the small town newspaper, sows some seeds to the larger story, and it's just as well written as the main book. Wild's End is an incredible, character-driven story that just so happens to take place during an alien invasion with masterful art that lifts the final product to amazing heights. It is great to have this one back. I forgot that this book existed, and I loved it. I am giving it a huge buy it, if you can't tell. Yeah. (laughs) So I also forgot about Wild's End, and obviously I read whatever issue you reviewed years ago. I also uh, have zero memory of anything about it. It looked very familiar when I, you know, brought up the issue, called up the issue on my iPad and saw the logo, and I was like, wait, we've done this before. And I know that we've reviewed comics by I.N.J. Colbard before. Definitely. And so, yeah, it, it, it did come rushing back. And I liked that this was kind of a, you know, they, they turned the camera to the left 90 degrees uh, to show a different piece of the storytelling map, if you will, uh, w- with this, this uh, shipping crew or this uh, fishing crew. Fishing crew, yeah. And so, yeah, I thought that that was very cool. I still don't understand why this is anthropomorphized other than, I'll, uh, like, I'll tell you what, I'll give them this. I care about these animals a lot more than I would if they were just a bunch of schmoes. I think that's human schmoes. That's the whole thing. It's just like, look, I want you to love these characters. So I'm going to make them adorable animals. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and if that's it, then well played because you know, yeah, it's, I'm invested in their lives and I, I care about their well being after just one issue. If any of these, uh, cute puppies or kitties get vaporized by a, by a tripod alien walker, then I'll be devastated. The art is fantastic. The back matter by Nick Abnett is really fun and it adds a lot to the, not the, not the story per se, but it kind of contributes to the atmosphere and kind of builds on the story and helps flesh out the world a lot. And I thought that that was very well done. This is a buy it for me. This week, I'm not wasting any time getting straight to the superheroes. You want to talk about something you love, like Amazons. You love Amazon drama, Joe. I don't don't not love the Amazons, but... All you do is whine about it when they get heavy into the Amazon drama. (laughs) I'm just... There's a way to do it, and there's a way that doesn't interest me, and we'll get into it. It, It's Wonder Woman 800 from DC. It's 48 pages for $5.99. Very, very similar to the Flash 800 that came out a couple weeks ago. Story, art, colors, and letters by Various. Cover by Yannick Paquette. Here's your solicit. Oh, hey. Written by Becky Clunan, Michael W. Conrad, and Tom King, with art by Joelle Jones, Todd Nock, Daniel Sampier, and others. 
I'm sorry, DC. We refer to them as various around these parts. Whatever happened to the Warrior of Truth concludes in a landmark 800th issue. Did you know that it didn't start in the landmark 800th issue? Neither did I. I did not. Does it, does it, does it really matter? I don't, I kind of don't think so. Maybe, maybe it does. You know what? I don't know. When we get to our, our ratings, then we can discuss whether or not maybe it matters. <laughs> okay, sure, 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 sure. Diana's visions become more vivid as she finds herself trapped in the dreams of those around her. As she struggles to escape, her life as Wonder Woman hangs in the balance. When the dust settles, will she still be the Amazon's greatest champion? Find out in this extra special celebration. Hot on the heels of the Flash's 800th anniversary celebration, DC has given us Wonder Woman 800. A send-off to the current run of creators and our first glimpse at the new team of Tom King and Daniel Sampier. But unlike the Flash issue, this reads less like a celebration of the character and more like a magical mystery tour where Diana checks in on her friends and family. That is one way to go about it, I guess, but this issue is missing that celebratory feeling that should remind readers how amazing Wonder Woman is. Instead, it's fine. It's fine. I found my interest waxing and waning based on the story's transitions back and forth to the bridging sequences, a phrase that we recently learned that I can't get enough of. <laughs> yeah. But the biggest draw here, in theory, is the debut of Tom King and Daniel Sampier as the new Wonder Woman creative team. Their story, which is set apart from everything else, introduces Trinity, the future daughter of Diana and a mortal man that, spoilers, isn't Steve Trevor. Or anyone else familiar, for that matter, except for an Easter egg with the name. It, it, okay, so what is, what is the Easter egg with the name? I mean... Help me. It's Elizabeth Marston Prince is her name. Right. And Elizabeth Marston was William Marston's wife. Right. And widely considered to be the co-creator of Wonder Woman. Never got credit for it. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. Only only in latter day did his wife and also their their third paramour, because they like to get kinky, uh huh? given credit for inspiring what what would become Wonder Woman. No so, judgment here. Yeah. You do No, not at all. It's fascinating stuff, and Trinity is named for Marston's wife. The story is interesting. It sets up some intriguing plots and a potential future. But Trinity talks like a space alien that learned to speak English from watching TV. The way she talks is just odd, yeah. especially considering that she was more or less raised by a collection of Earth's greatest heroes, none of whom have failed to master the language. She sounds like she's off her meds. <laughs> she sounds it's, wild. <laughs> it's just very strange. Like yeah. the syntax and the dialect, it's just real weird. And it's not just like, you're an old man, Joe, you don't get how the teens talk. No, 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 no. 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 It's not, it's nothing like that. Like if I spoke to someone like this, I would say this, I would think this person is having a manic episode. Like this, <laughs> yeah, it's, this is a it's little, very weird. Yeah. It's very, very peculiar. The art in this issue varies from stunning to good, but unremarkable with Joelle Jones, Jen Bartel and Daniel Sampier being the obvious standouts, but the wildly varying art styles and the book's lack of distinct chapters makes the whole thing feel a bit disjointed. Like, to compare it to the Flash issue, which is the closest comparison we have, all of the stories in that book were divided up into distinct chapters. 
And this is just one long story. It would, it would, except for the Tom King one, this is all one long story that just goes back and forth. Wonder Woman 800 falls short as a celebration of 800 years of Wonder Woman. Another joke that I can't get enough of. And a few bright spots don't really salvage the rest of the issue. I'm giving this a skim it. It's not bad. It's just, yeah. I read it and I was like, okay. See, now I disagree with you. I think they went for it for that celebration of Wonder Woman in the sense it's like, we're going to tie this into whatever we were doing in the story that I didn't read and didn't know about. But at the same time, we'll still celebrate Wonder Woman by having different artists come in and show her in a scene with this character and this character and this character. And it's like, no, you didn't quite do it. And by the way, was it just me or did she get crazy sexy chummy with Superman in space? <laughs> that was a little much. You know? uh, I think that I think that they were going for like a friendship, a close friendship I thing. I thought they were the, going to make out. The, the art, uh, Jen Bartella's art is very kind of cutesy. And yeah. so it, it does kind of make it. It gives a romantic comic spin to it. Definitely. I don't think that's what they and were The poses for. were a little too lovey-dovey, but regardless, I mean- I, you know, I, I think they're they're just like best friends is, is what it's supposed to be. It just, it didn't, I don't, I don't know if this did the story thing it was supposed to do because I wasn't reading the issue before this. And it also didn't hit the celebration of Wonder Woman in episode, issue 800 thing that it was supposed to do either. The introduction of Trinity- was very interesting and notably so because I really like John and I really like Damien. Like they yeah. sounded just like they do, but this Trinity character was weird, man. Uh, just so weird. much so that it has to be intentional. The way that he wrote her has to be a choice, but it is such an odd choice that they need to reveal. There is something about this character that is different and makes her talk like this. I don't know what it is, but they right. need to reveal something. Otherwise, what the f- is wrong with her? <laughs> and, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and with and with no and with no explanation and no evidence yeah, to point to a reason, it's it just seems odd, beyond odd. Like she's a visitor from another planet, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe she is. You know, like and that could be. Um, the art was. I didn't have a lot of problems with the art. It was fine. It, no, it's this fine. was fine. This was just fine. And it seems like we're getting done with this Wonder Woman, and here comes the Tom King one that you all want to check out. Skim it. Watch out, folks. The Hulk is back and with a new sexy haircut. It's Incredible Hulk number one from Marvel. It was 36 pages for $3.99. It's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, PKJ, as we like to call him, with art and cover by Nick Klein, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Corey Pettit gets a lot of work this week. Yeah. Uh, so the last volume was just called Hulk and this volume is called Incredible Hulk. So, you know, already that it's better. Oh, fair enough. All right. Yeah. <laughs> this one's incredible. Here's your solicit. The age of monsters has begun. As an enraged Hulk tries to take control of Bruce Banner's body permanently, a mysterious immortal turns every monster in the Marvel Universe against Banner in an attempt to free their creator, the primordial mother of horrors. With the help of an unlikely new friend, Banner and Hulk must try to stop the world from getting plunged into darkness in this terrifying new series. While the last Hulk series was a bit of a departure from Al Ewing's masterful run, PKJ and Klein jump right back into the green door business. And this time with the return of who I thought might be a Ghost Rider villain, but 
said, now I'm wondering if it is or not. I still it's, think there's a chance. Not, it's it's not. I still I think there's a chance. Not. The body horror is back in force with new monstrous foes and fantastic new looks for what seems to be every Marvel monster on the Marvel Earth that's, that's going to come looking, looking like. for the Jade Giant. <laughs> it doesn't seem great for him. PKJ's script is an excellent version of your favorite X-Files monster story, but it leans into pure horror while maintaining that Hulk psychological weirdness that we have come to love as poor Bruce Banner just seems to get nuttier with every relaunch. I cannot say enough about Klein's art here. He mixes subtle watercolors with his thick black lines to make a beautifully creepy and atmospheric Hulk horror story come to life. His Hulk transformation scenes gave me goosebumps. They were so gross. And when Hulk finally does show up, he is massive. And I don't mean like the Hulk's always massive, right? I'm talking, he makes Dale Keown's Hulk look like a little kid. This is the biggest Hulk I've ever seen. Yeah, (laughs) he looks real large. Huge. Hulk definitely needed a course correction after the last series. And this creative team brought the dark, scary and just plain gross Hulk. I was hoping they would return to I'm giving this a buy it. I am so pleased here. I totally agree. And you know, no shade on anybody involved in the previous volume, but you could pick this up after reading immortal Hulk number 50 and skipping the entire last volume. And you would feel right at home. You'd be like, yeah, okay. And I think it was the right choice. I really do. I think it was the right choice too. And again, no shade, but the, the last volume was such a, a departure from not just what Al Ewing was doing, but the Hulk in general. Yeah. That it would have been hard to come back from that in any other way than yeah. this. I, think. I just don't think it worked. I think it was too high and, concept. And I don't think you could have immediately just gone back to the normal old dynamic where it's like, Hulk and Banner vying for control. No. He's Hulk smash. No. And sometimes he's good. Like it, no, the Hulk has come too far. And if we're ever going to get back to something like that, it'll be a while. This was fantastic. The art is incredible. Uh, no, uh, that was accidental, but it is really phenomenal art. Long haired hippie Hulk. Hey, whatever, man, uh, that's he's working with what Banner's given him. I don't care. The transformation scenes are distressing. Just gross. Like Joe Bennett, you know, that shithead Joe Bennett that drew Immortal Hulk. His stuff was wild and creepy and body horror nonsense. But his art was also slick and clean. Yeah. And precise. Nick Klein's work is messy and gross. And so when Klein does it, it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Ah. It's great. Now, I will say it does fly in the face of that whole Bruce Banner puts a gun in his mouth, pulls the trigger and the Hulk catches the bullet. Like this seems like it took a second or two to really change into the Hulk. I mean, whatever. But whatever. uh, I don't care. You know, but I mean, that could also just be like an an artistic effect to like show us the process. Right. Sure. Sure. For all we know, what happens in like two seconds. Yeah, it could be instantaneous. It's just, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) Gross. Uh, But it's like what? it's like when when the hulk comes out bruce banner explodes yeah and it's 
very upsetting uh, in a in a, an awesome way. Uh, the mother of horrors. I I I think she is a new character. Uh, Matt is in, Matt insists on trying to link her to the Ghost Rider character Lilith, which she is not. I, I promise you. But they've called her the mother of monsters before too. Lilith was the mother. Lilith's nickname is the mother of monsters because that is a mythological thing that comes from actual like apocryphal biblical stuff where Adam's first wife, Lilith, um, was rejected and became the proto-demon yeah, well, that gave birth yeah, to yeah, every yeah, demon yeah, on yeah, Earth. Yeah. No, I get well, all that. I'm so saying. that's why she's the mother of monsters. That's why she was called the mother of monsters. This is not the same character. This is the mother of horrors. And she's a foxy, tentacled redhead. Well, you're going to eat your words when you're wrong. We'll see. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. This is a huge buy. This comic book was just 100%. A thrill ride, a disgusting thrill ride from start to finish. PKJ, put that on the cover. Well, apparently my theme for this week is comic books with way too many words in the title. Come on, you're not going to make a bone joke? You're not going to talk about uh, you already made a bone zone. You already made a bone zone joke. So I'll tell no. you what, if anyone is going to bone me, it better be Jeff Lemire. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. This is, of course, the bone orchard mythos colon the tenement number one from Image Comics. It's 40 pages for three ninety nine. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Andrea Sorrentino, colors by Dave Stewart, letters and book design by Steve Wands. Here's your solicit miniseries premiere. From the Eisner-winning creative team behind Gideon Falls, Primordial, and 10,000 Black Feathers, which is another part of the Bone Orchard mythos, comes the biggest and most essential project yet in the bold and ambitious new shared horror universe of that thing I just said. They all exist in the Bone Zone. We've agreed. They all exist in the Bone Zone there. (laughs) I'll give you that much. I'll give you that much. In this extra-length first issue, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino bring you the story of seven residents in a building and the dark secrets that bind them together, beginning with a death that feels more sinister than natural. Tenement is the newest entry into the Bone Zone mythos from Lemire and Sorrentino. They've said that three times so far in this solicit. The universe features self-contained graphic novels and limited series about the horrors waiting to be discovered within the Bone Zone. Lemire and Sorrentino's loosely connected series of psychological horror comics is back with The Tenement. I am woefully behind in all things, surprising nobody, but I have it on good authority that regular readers will be rewarded with hints at the larger connection between titles, but you certainly won't be punished for jumping in here. Thank you, Mark Orenberger in the Discord for sharing that little tidbit. We're introduced to seven diverse strangers whose lives are linked by the rundown building they share. Lemire and Sorrentino quickly set a mood of creeping dread that's as natural as it is supernatural. Their lives are all in crisis in some way, whether it's a financial burden, the failing health of a loved one, addiction, etc. But in the case of Felix and young Isaac, they either know more about or are starting to learn more about the sinister place that has them trapped. Lemire doesn't really give us anything more than an introduction to the setting and the characters here, so there's no real clue as to what the plot will be yet, but I'm interested enough in both to come back and find out. Sorrentino's art is great, of course, but 
It did seem that the photo referencing was really ramped up when it came to the characters' faces in this issue. Yeah. It's not bad, per se, but it's definitely noticeable. Like, it's certainly not bad when you compare it to somebody like Greg Land, you know, where it's like clear. Like, no, but it's more so than we've seen But Sorrentino, Sorrentino. does Sorrentino does it better, but it it was noticeable enough that I, you know, made a, a note about it. Yeah. The Tenement number one is a suitably creepy addition to the Bone Orchard mythos, and I'll definitely check out the next issue, but this issue doesn't provide the same immediate hook that Lemire and Sorrentino's other work has in the past. I'm still giving it a buy it because I read it and I was like, yeah, I want to know what happens next. It's just, it doesn't have quite the punch that some of the other ones do. I think they're telling a different sort of like, not longer story here because the other ones are very slow burn as well. And I realize every time we say slow burn, someone is taking a drink and getting wasted. But we say that a lot. I'm sorry. But this one was a little slower. And I will say it's very good. It's a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. I'm nitpicking here. And I think Sorrentino is one of those artists that I forgive for their photo referencing because they do a really good job at it. Now, I don't want Sorrentino to lean into it any more than this. This is about like, this all is kind of the tolerate. limit for me. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're hitting the wall. So I'm giving it a buy it. Just no more than this. That's all I ask. We're approaching the point where I will start to notice, like if it gets any worse, then I will notice, Oh, this is a photograph that they have filtered. Right. Through Photoshop, right. You know, or traced over. Yeah. It becomes you know, fumetti you know, at a, some point with a brush. And I can't handle and that. And that's some artists do it and do it well. And some artists do it and do it very, very poorly. I would rather they didn't do it at all. Photo reference is different than incorporating photos into the artwork. I don't want no Fumetti comics. Don't need it. Yeah. From the depths, 40 stories high, something, 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 and his head in the sky, Godzilla. Here there be dragons. Number one is next. And it's from IDW. <laughs> stop you. Stop it, you. <laughs> it's from IDW. It's 22 pages. It's $4.99. It is written by Frank Thierry with cover art and art with cover and art by Inyaki Miranda. Colors by Eva De La Cruz and letters and design by Nathan Wittick. Here is your solicit. In the 1500s, before humanity had successfully traveled the entire globe, it was believed that monsters ruled the oceans just beyond the horizon. Here, there be dragons, was written on maps to denote the areas people dared not go. That is, until Sir Francis Drake circumnavigated the seas, visiting foreign lands and collecting treasure. That's what history tells us, Joe. At least but history does not. Yeah, and who writes the history tale. books? Yeah. White dudes, am I right? His story, am I right? Yeah. Monsters did lurk yonder, living on an island that still doesn't appear on any map, and among them was the king of them all, Godzilla! From Frank So Thierry. what you're saying is, here there were be dragons. I mean, I guess they hear there still here be, here, here there still will be. I don't know. Here. <laughs> From Frank Thierry and Inyaki Miranda. I'll I'll think about it while you keep going. (laughs) From Frank Thierry and Inyaki Miranda, the incredible team behind Old Lady Harley, comes a Godzilla adventure like no other. A month ago, I reviewed a story about King Kong in World War I, and now IDW has given readers a Godzilla story set on the high seas at the 1500s, but it's actually a flashback to the 1300s. So 
There's a lot going on. <laughs> if you're willing to accept... They, it's a, they got incepted. Yeah. You might need to be willing to accept this one as an Elseworld sort of what-if story. And if so, then Thierry's swashbuckling tale is a clever take on Godzilla. Keep in mind, it was the atom bombs that hit Hiroshima and Nagasaki that unfroze and mutated the Godzilla-saurus that we know and love today. So, having him attack pirate ships is a bit of a stretch. That is not to say this didn't work. Miranda's art is very detailed. They do an amazing job on the historic details of the ships and the costumes. When Godzilla does finally show up, the splash page captures the rage and sheer size of my favorite monster really well, putting this tiny pirate galleon in front for perspective. I love the choice of the classic Godzilla look, too. As a fan of the classic Japanese monster, I could not stand the new Americanized version. Even the one in the newer movie? I don't like it. I don't need it. I don't like it. I mean, it's too he tall. Looks like Godzilla. The neck is too thick, and that is spoken by someone who doesn't know what Godzilla looks like. If, I know what Godzilla looks like. I'm not an idiot. Like hell you do. If this is a miniseries asking what if Godzilla attacked pirates back in the 1300s, fine. I'm in, and I'll read more. But please don't try and crush us in any Godzilla continuity. I mean, I suppose... Big G could have fallen into the ice and frozen after this story. <laughs> but I mean, man, come whatever. on. Matt. Is there really like a hard and fast Godzilla continuity? Come all, on. All you are doing is revealing that you know nothing about Godzilla, sir. I'm giving this a buy it. <laughs> whatever. I mean, that's fine. Obviously, I don't have an affinity for Godzilla. I did not grow up loving kaiju movies like Matt did. You know, my interests lie elsewhere. But I do recognize when a Godzilla story is well told, and this one is well told. The art is fantastic. I think it's a I think it's a hoot to see Godzilla fighting ancient pirates. Yeah. That's fun. It's fun. Does it fit into Godzilla continuity? I don't give a shit. You know, it, does that make me a bad person? It doesn't. Matt will say to. yes. I give it a buy. It. No, I, no. You acknowledging that you don't think there is any. That's that makes you a bad Godzilla <laughs> fan. I I think I think that. Godzilla is a property that has been re rebooted and renewed so many times that there can't possibly be a Godzilla timeline that makes any kind of sense. However, there absolutely I is. If I will 100% cop to the fact that I don't know anything about it. We're also comic book fans. And you want to talk this about is just timelines the impression and continuities that have been rebooted countless times. Come on, man. Can't possibly make no, any that's sense. a totally different thing. <laughs> Where does Godzilla 99 fit in then, bud? Godzilla Where does that fit in the timeline? The Americanized one? It doesn't. Yeah. None of the okay, Americanized well, it's ones It's called do. Godzilla, so... Yeah, they're I'm, bad. I'm waiting. They're garbage movies. They're bad. They have nothing to do with it. The Americanized ones literally don't count. They're basically alternate reality. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is a buy it at any rate, whether you love Godzilla or are, you know, indifferent to him. Now it's time for Matt to be indifferent about something that I'm talking about. It's Ultimate Invasion number one from Marvel Comics. It's 56 pages for $8.99. Whoa, that is... Inflation is a bitch. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Andrew Curry, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Victorious Cockblocks Joe Caramagna. Here's your solicit. The transformation of the Marvel Universe begins! Superstar creators Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch team up 
Exclamation point. The Illuminati must form once again to stop the Maker from his plans to destroy, or perhaps rebuild, the universe. With Miles Morales at the center of it all, Brian's work on The Ultimates helped redefine superhero comics for the 2000s. Wait until you see what he and Jonathan have in store for this decade. It includes new data pages by Jonathan Hickman, which I can't believe they're using as a selling point. I mean, sort well, of. They were just like pictures. I, I, I mean, there was one data page. There was one data okay, page. Okay, there was one. I'll give you that. Right? That's it. There was only one. No, there was like three pages that he did, but they were just like illustrations. Well, but they were chapter headings. There were there were chapter headings, but then there yeah. was one There was data the page. opening data page. It was like, here is this prison. And then everything right. else was like, here's a picture of something exploding. Here's a picture of something imploding. You know? It's Yeah, <laughs> they were just like, and they were just the chapter. Anyway, regardless. Plus exclusive behind the scenes material on the world building that has gone into this project. That's not exactly true. It's just pencil art from Brian Hitch, which is still cool. It's just like settled down Marvel. Hickman skirts around current continuity by setting the opening of Ultimate Invasion six weeks in the past. I guess? I, was T'Challa still King of Wakanda six weeks ago as time flies no. in the 616? Nope. <laughs> who, who, are we, who are we to say? Do I think that Hickman is just doing what he wants with the characters he wants to use? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But honestly, also, who cares? The story opens with an amazing heist sequence where the loot being stolen is something so big that it will force the Illuminati to reunite. The rest of the issue deals with the group trying and failing to stop the maker's master plan, whatever it is, and not knowing is what's scaring the Illuminati the most. There's also a really great scene where the maker gives Miles Morales a big choice to make. And finally, Hickman gives us a very interesting twist subverting what we all assumed when we heard about the return of the ultimate universe. Now I'm not going to say anything about that here, but Matt, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we can talk about it. I know there. exactly what you're talking about. I'm not going to say anything about it either. Okay. Brian Hitch's art works really well here for the most part, especially in the widescreen action and close up character scenes. It does tend to fall apart a little bit in the panels with midfield layouts. Okay. It, I don't, kind I don't of, disagree. You're right. The, they highlight Hitch's kind of failings with maybe drawing things a little too realistic or like, why, why does the black Panther have beady little eyes on his mask? Well, not just that. Why, there's like, why can't I count all the toes on everybody's feet? There's a like, level why? of realism like, to his art that like, sometimes when he, like the scenes where the maker is talking to miles and miles is floating, like, Whoa, like it almost looks too real. So it looks kind of silly. You know, <laughs> but like the but the close up stuff where it's just face and then yeah. face like that stuff's gorgeous. And then obviously yeah. the stuff he's known for that he excels uh, uh, with are those huge like double page widescreen was the word they coined. Sure, and, well it obviously it wasn't a, a new, but that's what his work was called in the nineties with the Authority. Those like big explosions and stuff like yeah, the action fantastic, scenes. fantastic, Amazing. and then. There's like a three quarter shot where we get to see like m several members of the Illuminati in semi close up. And it's just like, um, I don't, I don't think that looks right. Yeah. Like Dr. Strange's beard is kind of gross. <laughs> why, why like the, the last little splash page with the Illuminati there, if you look at it and I can't unsee it now. Maker has escaped and the Illuminati are posed in front of the method of his escape. And T'Challa is shown partially obscured by another character. And his arms are so long. Yeah. 
Yeah. That there's like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm looking at it right now. And And actually it's just his left arm. His right arm is fine. His left arm, you know, as as, from his perspective, our right. You almost kind of wonder freakishly long. If like they did something on accident when they were putting it. I just don't think they noticed. I think Hitch drew it and they didn't. No editor was like, that doesn't look right. Brian. That's weird. Yeah. Overall, it's fantastic looking. I don't really need the ultimate universe to make a comeback, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that this issue has me very curious. Hickman's story is exciting. It's compelling. And Brian Hitch is the perfect choice to bring it to life. I'm giving this a buy it. When I thought it was just going to be what it said on the packaging, right? The return of the ultimate universe. I was like, okay, well, Hickman better bring it. But there's something else going on here. And now I really want to know. So yeah, they did it. I'm interested. Yeah. And, and shame on us for not thinking that Hickman had something bigger going on here. And it was really just the Marvel marketing machine that was trying to dumb it down. So people would buy it, you know, and (laughs) I'm interested. I'm in, I'm a hundred percent in this was excellent. It was, I can't stop looking at that black Panther arm. (laughs) I know. Right. Once you see it, it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I'm sorry to everybody who has now had that experience ruined for them, but it's, and I don't like his, just, be- I don't just, like his beady eyes either. I don't like it. Uh, the beady eyes. Uh, regardless, and, they, they, they do one thing. Like the whole thing, the, the heist was great looking. I love the Illuminati getting back together because it's such a scary threat. I love that the maker is as scary as he is. And like, still like really like one of those characters that like, yes, I need more of that character. I, when I will tell you this, when, he, when the maker was introduced, when they first did the thing where they're like, ultimate Reed Richards went crazy and now he's a bad guy. I was like, oh, brother. In the hands of Jonathan Hickman, the maker is terrifying Absolutely. and he always has been. But also he's, he's super he's great compelling. Villain. Super yeah. compelling. Like, I want yes. more. They, but Hickman just does one thing in the epilogue of this book that makes you go, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. You got me. I'm in. It's a massive buy it. I gotta see where this goes now. I sincerely hope we are not bringing this universe back forever, though. Just do it for this thing, okay? Yeah, we New comic book Wednesday, June 28. It's been a while since we've talked about him, but it's always nice to welcome back Grey Matter vocalist and bass player Steve Niles to the Ziggurat. Was he really like, that's the same dude, Steve Niles? Steve Niles. He was in Grey Matter. Neat. That's fun. This is Bryn Moore, number one from IDW. It's $3.99. It's written by Steve Niles with art and main cover by Damian Worm, art assist by Alicia Zerno, and letters by Taylor Esposito. Here's your solicit. From the creators of the October Faction, Steve Niles and Damian Worm, comes a new horror tale. Bryn Moore! Recently divorced and sober, Mark Turner has returned to his hometown looking for a second chance. He'll rebuild the old church into a new home if the locals let him. But Turner Island has a secret, one tracing back to one it was one tracing back to when it was named after Mark's ancestors. Who or what is Bryn Moore? 
Steve Niles' name has been synonymous with horror since his vampire hit 30 Days of Night hit the stands. And while Bryn Moore's cover gives off some vampy vibes, it looks like he and Worm have a different flavor of slow burn horror brewing here. There it is again. The first issue takes its time introducing Mark Turner and the idea of his family shame without actually revealing anything quite yet. It works for the story, though. Mark is running from something that he left behind after running away from his family's past and choosing not to deal with it. He just has nowhere else to turn at this point. Worm does a really nice job of creating an isolated feeling, placing Mark in distant shots and corners of large panels. His colors are excellent and really work for this small town island feel while also maintaining this underlying creepy feeling for the story that's developing. There's a solid horror story coming up here, told with great pacing that looks like it's setting up a confrontation with family secrets and an ancient evil, which could possibly be both. (laughs) I'm giving this a buy it. Strong first issue. I agree. Uh, I mean, and look, it's definite vampire vibes. Even after reading the story, I'm like, oh, okay, which is fine. I, I love a good vampire story. I could be wrong. I think but there's that's something. How it seem, that's weird. how it seems to me. And I don't want to give anything away, but like the last panel I looked at it, and I was like, that doesn't look real vampy to me. That looks kind of elder goddish, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, okay. Oh, well, I won't say anything else because I don't want to spoil it either. But to me, it read as vampire. But we had this same debate when we talked about that shitty militia monster book that i that, well, that I was reviewed. different that was like what i know you? but it's like wait a minute are they vampires or are they werewolves right like what are we doing <laughs> this though i thought was a, a really good time well not a good time because it's kind of feel bad but i enjoyed myself and uh, steve niles is a writer that i kind of forget how good he is because we don't read a ton of his stuff uh, but i thought this was really good It felt like a comic from the early 2000s. The pacing was such that it felt very decompressed, not in a bad way. All the the character stuff is very compelling, but it takes a long time to get to any sort of clue as to what the point's going to be, which is great if all the stuff you're giving up till that point is compelling. And this is, they do a, a wonderful job. Damien Worm's art, not what I was expecting. The cover is, is not a good indicator of what you're in for when you look at this art. No. It's a painted cover. It's very different. The interior's still very, very good, but not, you know, I was expecting something a little bit more like Ben Temple Smith-ish. And this is more straightforward. Not That's not a slam. It's just not what I was I didn't think I mean, we the, were gonna the get October it. faction looked like this too. He just does a thing. I haven't read the October when faction. the creepy shows up, he flips it on. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's fair. Uh, but the art is great. The story is interesting. I'm very curious to see what is happening here. Oh, it had, uh, it had definite Mike Flanagan, midnight mass haunting of Hill house. I think that's why I'm hoping it's it. not a vampire thing. Cause if so, it's a well, little midnight mass is vampires. I know so. I get that. What I'm saying is if this is also vampires, it's a little too close to midnight mass. Well, me. yeah. Cause church and vampires. Yeah. And the Island and everything. And like, yeah, that, yep. You're absolutely right I'm about that. I'm hoping it's uh, not that I, but I will get, I will tell you this for free. This little piece of life advice from uncle Joe Patrick. If you buy an abandoned building of any kind, and you find some sort of secret chasm in the basement, stay the f*** out. 
I mean, unless it's a church. If it's a church, you're probably okay. No, especially (laughs) not if it's a church. Don't go down there. If it's a church or it's a mortuary, you know, or or an old insane asylum, you're probably fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Lace up your gloves, boxing fans. It's Creed, the next round number one from Boom Studios. It's 32 pages for $4.99. It's creatively directed by Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> Written by LaToya Morgan and Jay Jameson. Might be Jay, might be Jay. Art by Wilton Santos. Colors by DJ Chavez. And letters by And World Design. Here is your solicit. Ten years after the events of the blockbuster Creed Three. Amara Creed is on her own path, stepping outside her father Adonis Creed's shadow and training like there's no tomorrow. But when her division opponents no longer present a challenge, Amara's drive will have her following in her father's footsteps going underground. She'll also need the perfect trainer, but perfection comes with tangled strings attached. Superstar writers LaToya Morgan of Dark Blood and AMC's The Walking Dead and Jay, or perhaps Jai Jameson of Superman and Lois, artist Wilton Santos of Breakout, alongside Creed 3 director and star Michael B. Jordan, bring Creed to comics and a story no fan of the franchise can afford to miss. I am a huge fan of the Creed movies. I think they're really lovingly crafted films that honor the legacy of the Rocky franchise while going in their own new direction. You can feel Michael B. Jordan's fingerprints all over this thing. The actor is clearly invested in the ongoing development of Adonis Creed and his growing family. There isn't anything too new on display in the script by writers LaToya Morgan and Jai Jameson, but they kill it with the execution. The creators incorporate liberal use of BASL or Black American Sign Language, which I didn't even know was its own thing. I thought it was very cool to see Amara and her parents switching between verbal and nonverbal communication. The representation is very neat. And the characterization of Adonis and Bianca, who is Tessa Thompson's character, is spot on. The art by Wilton Santos is incredible, doing a fantastic job of invoking the likenesses of Jordan and Thompson while having a personality all its own. Santos also does an admirable job translating the high-speed intensity of a boxing film to the page. It's obviously not quite the same, but there's a dynamic quality to the fights that rivals most other action comics on the stands. It's very, like, you know, very punchy, very comic booky. Creed, the next you, round, you number say one. It's off- a- Punchy boxing comic book, Joe? I mean, the art, as far as like the fight sequences go, it's very. I'm just busting you out. I'm just busting you out. I get it. Yeah, it's a very punchy (laughs) boxing comic. Creed, the next round, number one, offers a very familiar story about the next generation of the Creed dynasty, which might not seem too exciting to some, but it's exactly what I wanted when I picked up the issue. For me, this is a buy it. I kind of went into this one like, where the hell did this come from? I, I don't remember. I don't know why it exists. It. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, you would think but, boom would have made a bigger deal out of this or something. I don't know. Regardless. Then I got I, into it and I was like, Oh great. We're doing the, the next karate kid thing with this time. It's a girl and everything. Like, okay, here we go. And then halfway through this comic, it completely won me over complete me. Just, it's not doing anything revolutionary by just no. like you said, this is very paint by numbers. It's still a creed story. This time it's a daughter. There's a fun twist in the end that I didn't see coming. And I went, oh, okay. 
Uh, all right. I didn't know, didn't know that was going to happen. This totally won me over for all the reasons you said. The art is very good. I'm giving this a buy it's as well. Really good. It's really, just really unexpected. Good. Like, I don't think any fans of Creed were like, whoa, Creed 3 was incredible. Now give me a comic book, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's weird. But hey, like, I'll take I'm it. not going to. F- I'll take it. it. Look, Michael B. Jordan is a well-documented dork. Yeah, he's a nerd. That that dude loves anime and nerd shit. Yeah. And so if Michael B. Jordan was like, I want to tell the next Creed story in a comic book. Fine. I'm in. Do it. It was great. More power to him. Yeah. Good news, Joe Patrick. I've got more fantasy for you in SideQuest. Number one. Yes! This, Joe loves fantasy. This is from Scout. It's 28 pages. Written by Grant Stoy with cover and art by Alaire. Rassicott, I'm going to go with. Rassicott, let's yeah. do that. Colors by Martina Banani, lettered and designed by Tobin Rassicott. I assume they are brother and sister. <laughs> or they re- certainly related in some way. Yeah, mother and son is my guess. Here is your solicit. Yeah. Weird things are happening in the countryside of Tolkestra when the moon is out. Or full. They <laughs> said it's out. This looks like a gig for Derek and his merry band. That is... If they can just get out of their own way. Fisticuffs, illicit gambling, questionable parenting, and drunken pub songs. Side quests, action-packed first issue has it all. Plus, it contains a backup story featuring a day in the life of a spoiled little rich turtle. Written by Ringo-nominated creator Grant Stoy with line work by rising star Alaire Rassicote. Sorry if I'm doing that wrong. Unlike the usual D&D homage with a modern twist we get in fantasy comics these days, SideQuest is a more anthropomorphized look at what heroes do to get by rather than saving the realm. (laughs) Stoy's script is a lighter, less serious take on fantasy with all the trappings of your favorite RPG system, but he also brings a twist to the plot that I did not see coming at all, which is good because it caught my attention just as the light humor was beginning to wear off a little. Ratchet art is very sharp and detailed. They do a nice job bringing emotion to the talking animal characters. There's some stiffness in some of the fight scenes, but also there's a lot to like in the character design and the background work. There is a lot of this type of humor fantasy on the stands right now, but this team puts a small twist in the story that could make SideQuest really stand out. I'm giving this a strong skim it. Just because not all the humor landed for me, and they really wanted it to. You can tell. You know what? I can't believe that I am uh, going to do this, but this is a buy it from me. Okay. I loved it. I legitimately enjoyed it from beginning to end. Yeah. Like, look, everybody knows, anyone who's listened to the show for more than five minutes has heard me say time and time again, it's a joke, ongoing joke. I Fantasy is not my preferred genre when it comes to genre stories but i thought this was well done they're literally going on side quests which is great fetch quests and like bring me 10 jugs of milk or cobalt pelts or whatever the hell you know i I thought that i i love it i think that that's great the twist at the end i legitimately did not see coming i i was like whoa okay i didn't know that that's what we were doing here uh, so kudos. I think that's what will bring me back. I just, not all the humor worked uh, and there was some, art. I, I, some art that wasn't as strong. I as think others. the, I think the art in general is very good, yeah. but there are also a lot of very strange 
problems with perspective. Yeah. Like if you look at the action and how the characters are posed when they are punching or whatever, swinging a sword, what have you, things don't look right. And you know, that's, that's a skill issue. You, you know, it will, it, that will come with experience. Not that I'm an expert or anything, but it like, it's clearly not supposed to look the way it does in some panels. However, for the most part, I think the art looks great. I love the the I love the logo and the cover. Like I I really like this. This is a buy it for me. I hope you were counting the words of my picks earlier on the episode because this one takes the cake. It's the oddly pedestrian life of Christopher Chaos number one. I cannot stop myself from saying Christopher Cross. Saying and typing Christopher Cross, who is, this is not about the, uh, you know, beloved pop singer. Blue-eyed soul singer. I wouldn't call him a pop singer. Uh, well, whatever he is. I don't even know. I'm not a fan. I, I don't Sailing know anything about Christopher Cross. takes me away from me. <laughs> okay. This is from Dark Horse Comics. It's 40 pages, four ninety nine. It's written by Tate Bromball, based on an idea from James Tinian the Four. That's literally how it is credited with art by Isaac Goodhart colors by Miguel Muerto. Great name letters by Aditya Bidikar. Here's your solicit. Tinny the four was like, Hey Tate, I got something for you, man. <laughs> he scrawled something on a napkin. Like when Prince sends it people songs, body. you know, like yeah, when, yeah, when right. Prince is like, Hey, Shanae, I think I got something. <laughs> sure. Sheila E, Sheila E, I got something for you. From the New York Times bestselling and multi-Eisner award-winning writers of Something is Killing the Children, the Department of Truth, and House of Slaughter, and the artist on Victor and Nora, colon, a Gotham love story, comes this LGBTQ plus horror-themed coming-of-age series that's Invincible meets Doom Patrol. Meet teenage mad scientist Christopher Chaos. For all his life, he knew he was different. His brilliant mind works in ways that defy logic and enable him to do things that push him beyond his peers. Unfortunately, these abilities have also caused great pain in his personal life, leading others to fear him and leaving Christopher with profound loneliness and guilt. Then one day, something cracked. When the cute boy at high school turns out to be a deadly creature, Christopher finds himself pitted in a world of monsters, heroes, and a cult of hunters out to kill them all. There's clearly something odd about Christopher that everyone around him is taking in stride. When any rational adult would have shipped that kid off to be studied by scientists long ago. I'm not just talking about quirky behavior. I'm talking about futuristic, unnatural experimentation and scrawling room-sized equations that put the guy from a beautiful mind to shame. He also might be having visions, or maybe they're real. It's hard to say. It does seem real given the context of the final action scene. But the way everyone else just kind of shrugs these things off presents a very odd mixed message. Otherwise, there's the potential for a really interesting story that Bromball and Tinian establish here. And maybe the thing about people shrugging off the weirdness is part of the story. If only Christopher would stop explaining how everything in his life is going wrong so that the story can get to the point. Yeah. I really enjoyed the art by Isaac Goodhart and Miguel Muerto. Goodhart's designs for Christopher and the antagonists that appear later in the issue are great. And Muerto's color palette does a nice job emphasizing the weirdness that follows Christopher around. The oddly pedestrian life of Christopher Chaos, number one, is an interesting book. It's just kind of hard to tell what kind of book it's going to be right now. I'm giving this a strong 
skim it. I, I liked it, but I, I didn't really know what to make of it. I really liked it. And I think the story they're telling, I don't know, but I think they're telling this sort of story where the reason people are shrugging off this weirdness is because they don't see the world as it is the way that Christopher sees it. Sort of like maybe that, yeah. like that idea that Dr. Strange like can walk around and see, you know, like ghosts well, and, 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 and something and, is killing the children. Yeah. The adults can't see the monsters. Exactly. Right? Like it, it could be baked into the story. Think, they just didn't really establish. I anything. think that's where they're going here. I loved the art. There is a werewolf panel that the art is very just cool. blew me away. Like the split, the splash in this panel is one of the most violent, badass things I have seen in a long time. And I love yeah. it. It's almost like sort of Mike Alred pop art, but a little more detailed, right? The way they, and I think the way that it's colored too. I God, I really enjoy this. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I think they're setting up something really That's cool. Fair. Here. That's fair. I think they're setting up something really cool and they want you to read it as Christopher's nuts. Christopher's got a problem. I don't think Christopher's nuts. I think everybody else is not able to see the things that he is seeing and experiencing. I, well, yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it seems obvious that in the werewolf scene, like that's really happening. Like, yeah. how can it, there's, how can it, not there's be? no question. That's just it. And so, yeah, I, I, I know that you're right. And this may be the sort of thing that reads better, as a whole. And so maybe when all of a sudden done, I'll look back at this run yeah. and go, yeah, it's a buy it. It's great. But for me, first issue, I was like, I, I'm kind of confused by the tone of it. Fair so. enough. I definitely, this artist, God, I loved it. Very, very strong art. Yes. Well done. Come back here, Spider-Man. Where are you going, Spider-Man? Let's stay on the crazy train with Carnage Reigns Omega number one. It's from Marvel. It's 34 pages. Yeah, hey, you know what? Credit to Marvel. There is no number one on the cover of this comic book. No, there isn't. There isn't. That's it just, just how, says Carnage Reigns Omega. That's just how it was offered everywhere else where you ordered it and stuff. I mean, so. I get it. But. <laughs> it's 34 pages. It's $4.99. It's written by Cody Ziegler with cover by Ryan Stegman. Art by Julius Ota and Roge Antonio. Colors by Eric Archenega. And letters by VCs Corey Pettit. He's back. Here's your solicit. Carnage Reigns! Conclusion. Cletus Cassidy finally gets what he's been after and unlocks new and terrifying possibilities with his grown extremebiote armor and sets the <laughs> stage for the next Venom epic. Not really. Miles Morales can call in all the backup he wants, but didn't he and his superhero pals get it yet? Carnage rules. Okay. No, it does. It does set up the next uh, Venom event, which is death of the Venom verse. I mean, I guess it's okay. If you want to tell me the thing that happens in that last panel is the setup, then I'm going to say uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm saying that they say, they say enough about the nature of carnage and, and what Cletus Cassidy is now in this book. To, to say, oh, yeah, well, this is not the end, I mean, even I though guess, it's the end of I, this. Look, yeah. let me, first things first, I lost a nerd bet here. Carnage Reigns has nothing to do with the lead into the ultimate invasion story. <laughs> I can't believe that that is a bet you even tried to Which make. Which is too bad, because that may have made it more interesting. We're a little less than four years out from Donny Kate's absolute Carnage event, which Joe and I both really enjoyed, and everything that has happened in its wake has felt like carnage light 
Let's face it. Carnage may have peaked and putting him in a demonic Iron Man armor possessed by part of a symbiote dragon that lets him control people with evil nanotech didn't do much for me. (laughs) It's so stupid. You can't just keep adding stuff, like literally just adding stuff to the character to make him more interesting. And now why don't know? Why not just say now he's got a Captain America shield or, or, you know, and Wolverine claws and he's got horns and he travels time. Like, okay, fine. It's it's dumb. Yeah. Cletus Cassie is still a fairly uninteresting cackling madman that wants to be a God that I guess kills everything. Thankfully, Miles Morales, the scorpion, a new speedster. I can't remember the name of the red goblin and iron man in some oh, yeah, really stupid either. looking dragon slayer armor. It's are, anime armor for sure. Oh yeah. God. Are you not even, it's like fantasy. Uh, I mean, yeah, night right, in yeah, right, armor. Right. I got it. It's just dumb. And there's no reason for it. There is no reason that tony stark would be like i gotta put it's together it's a symbio killing armor matt i suppose it is fine okay and when he makes a hulkbuster armor what's it look like it looks like a big iron man armor right looks like the hulk and when yeah, he makes what? a stealth armor what's it look like it looks like a stealthy iron man armor right and then when he makes a dragon slayer armor till carnage he goes well, hold on like a dragon i need to detail these ears and stuff on it so it looks a lot <laughs> like a a scary knight armor helmet like just, I, I i don't understand unless it's ego and it might be because it's Iron Man we're talking about. There is no need for any Iron Man costume, any Iron Man suit to look anything different. No. Than the Mark One gray box. No. And like, spoiler alert, the whole thing is this Dragon Slayer armor has a special arc reactor thing that delivers an EMP that's going to shut down the extreme biote. And I'll tell you what, if I ever have to say that again, I'm going to punch myself in the face. God, to be fair, to be fair. It's because of extremists, not I know because they uh, and so that doesn't make it any less stupid. No, 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 no. (laughs) But I mean, it, it, but it prevents it from being more stupid, I guess. If you say so, I if they were calling it the extreme BO because it's extreme, then Yeah. yeah, bad. But it's just like, okay, so Cletus Cassidy lost Carnage. Carnage is in space. Now, mind you, kids. I read the whole goddamn thing. I don't know why. Why, why know. did you bother? I went back and I wanted to know and I was like, fine, I'm doing I started reading and went, no, I'm going to read this because I read the first one and I read the last one. I had no idea why all this shit was happening. And then I read it. Nothing's happening for any good reason. Carnage is somewhere in space, right? Cletus wants to get back to it. The guy that was the serial killer that was helping him in his book was like, I'm going to help you become super I- evil again by giving you some of this you know, extremist armor and a little bit of goo that was left over by one of the symbiote dragons. And when you rub them together, I guess this is what you yeah. turn into. <laughs> it's, the, it's the peanut butter cup of symbiotes. Yeah. But good news. They all get together and stop him by punching him. Until yeah, such the Care, Bear, the Care Bear stare him to death. Pretty much. Until such time that Carnage grows horns and starts killing multiversal venoms in the pages of Death of the Venomverse. It's just exhausting. I and I suppose Ziggler does a perfectly good job writing here. The art is flashy, but scary in the Marvel Spidey horror style that we've come to recognize from the symbiote gang. I just don't care. And I find the whole gang pretty boring. And I'm sorry, Carnage. You peaked, buddy. It's okay. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It happens to us all. This is not 
bad. But yeah, it's no, it's bad. Also not good. This is guilty of being extremely mediocre. So I'm giving it a skim it. Like it doesn't fail in anything. Yeah, no, it's no, it doesn't. It just does the thing. It just follows the beats and Matt, I don't care I, about any of the characters. I'm giving it a skim I, it. I love you, but you are wrong. And I think the only reason you're giving it a skim it is to justify your decision to read the whole event. No, I'm not because I will say, I like, think the if Pac-Natal you read the whole stuff, event, the Pacnatal stuff was pretty good. He wrote the first half of all this stuff. Cody I Ziegler understand. is writing the other half of the stuff. And you know what? That wasn't bad either, but I don't care about the, the red goblin. I don't care about this new speedster. I don't care about this demon slayer. All right. A Tony like, duh. God, whatever. And I don't care about this Cletus wearing haunted Iron Man armor or whatever the hell it yeah. was. Right. You know? So look, I un- like all the things you said there are accurate, but we are not judging Carnage Reigns the event. We are judging Carnage Reigns Omega, which I thought was a steaming pile of shit. It tied the, I'll tell you what, it tied the event up pretty well. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, what loose ends could there possibly have been that people would have complained about not getting tied up at the end of this comic. I, I read this and I felt bad for the people involved. I mean, yeah, I'll give you that. Like, I, I feel like they're doing the best they can with these characters and it's, sure. And again, like, I don't think it's terrible. I just, it's not memorable at I, all. And I don't care. I, I think it's terrible. I, I think enough. that this comic has no redeeming value. And I think that its existence diminishes the efforts of the artists involved. Cody Ziegler. I don't know. No, Cody Ziegler. I did not think the writing was very good. It's fine. I, it's, it's fine, but it's, it's, it's not fine. It's bad. It's just, it's See, but not there was good. nothing like stood out that I read where I was like, that is bad dialogue or that character would never like it. This sounds like Tony Stark. I just don't know why Tony's doing any of it. You know, I, I, and I don't care. Look, I don't want to keep piling on. I hated it. I, fine. I, I hated it. That's and fine. I was like, when you told me you were going to read the whole event, I thought you had gone insane. Like why? It wasn't but, garbage. It just it's like, you guilty. don't have anything else to do. You don't have any other things to prep. I'm for. trying to figure out why they're so excited about this shit and why they keep pushing it. Is it selling? Are want, we wrong? Is this selling? Do people I would love like it? to know. I would like to know who is excited about this. Shit. It's like, we've got, a red, we've got an ongoing red goblin. We've got an ongoing, we an ongoing gold goblin. We've got an ongoing carnage. An ongoing gold goblin was a mini series and it doesn't have a symbiote. Okay. In it, but yes, well, your yeah. point stands. But yeah, we have a, we have an ongoing Red Goblin series. We have an ongoing Carnage series, which I did not even know was still going. It's still going. And, you know, obviously the ongoing Venom thing. We've got a Venom event li- almost literally once a month. Truly. It's, it's been, you know, into the Venomverse, beyond the Venomverse, across the Venomverse, and now it's the death of the Venomverse. Clear up the and Venomverse. They, like, they don't, yeah, straight up in the Venom. Yeah, up the Venomverse <laughs> and around the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the point is made, though all of it is too much. It's too it is much, too much. symbiote too stuff. Much. Okay, it's a leave. It. Fine, it's, it's a leave it. You're right. It's look, a leave I'm it. not I'm not trying to bully you or anything. No, I, but you're but right. This is it's my own you are right. gut reaction to this comic book. You're right. It's a leave it. I, I, I agree. I mean, like, it, it just, I guess it just fails in the sense that you can't just keep 
putting shit onto this character and expect that character to be interesting when like all they do is I'm crazy and I kill stuff. Like, okay. I already thought it was going a little too far when Kate's did the whole like, oh yeah, there was a team of, um, there was a squad of Vietnam soldiers that had symbiote. No. Yeah. No, there's too many goblins I, I, I and too many symbiotes. It's, it's the law of diminishing returns. Every new thing they add to actually detracts. Yes, I, I totally agree. It's a leave it. This terrible. Let's focus on another character who has had so much heaped upon them that they are almost literally nothing like they were when they unrecognizable, unrecognizable, <laughs> and also the grand finale of my too many words in the title sub series in this episode. It is X Men colon before the fall hyphen heralds of apocalypse number one one shot from Marvel yeah, Comics. I guess. I mean, I think the word one shot is probably on the cover. It's 40 pages for $4.99. It's written by Al Ewing. Hey, right? With art by Luca Pizzari, S- Stefano Landini. Settle down there. <laughs> and Raphael Pimento. I'm just saying, hey, like, it's not all bad. And and you, I wouldn't blame you if you were at least a little bit excited. There is no one shot on the cover. Zero, oh, zero, okay, great. one. Hey, there you go. Who, well, I don't know if it, it's to Marvel's credit or detriment. Yeah. Colors by Ceci De La Cruz. Fort Letters Denver. by VCs Travis Lanham. Here's your solicit. It's the origin of Arako. Hooray! <laughs> In ancient days, Genesis turned back the hordes of Amonth. Not, not that Genesis, a different Genesis that's also tangentially related to Apocalypse. In, in, in ancient days, Genesis forced Annihilation into a parlay. Also not that Annihilation? I don't know. What words were spoken in her mind? Now, finally, Apocalypse will know, and the echoes of those words might destroy him and Arako with him. God willing. Oh, boy. It's a story about the history of Arako. Al Ewing dusts off a part of the current X-Men status quo that I could not be less interested in. But apparently, it has something to do with the upcoming fall of X, so here we are. Everything about this issue is fine. The writing is fine. The art is fine. It's all fine. I just don't give a shit about Oraco at all. Not even a little bit. And I think that Hickman's insistence on incorporating it into the modern Krakoan era hamstrings every other writer in the X-Men office. But this isn't Hickman I'll- doing it. Ewing's doing it. But he's the one that came up with it. I guess. No, he came up with it. He came up with it. There's no... I think there's no I guess Hickman is I'm responsible not saying he for didn't this. come up with it. I'm saying they may be riding it to hell at this point. <laughs> so. I'm saying, yeah, Al Ewing clearly has an affinity for it. And I suppose he's the best choice to kick the ball downfield in Hickman's absence. But I don't think this storyline adds a single thing to the overall X-Men story. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that you could excise every single aspect of the Araco story and get the same result. Have the X-Men colonize Mars with a group of unruly mutants? Sure. Have Mr. Sinister secretly take over the Quiet Council? No problem. Do whatever it is they're doing with Moira? Yeah, absolutely. You could even still have Krakoa. You can have Krakoa without Arako. We did it for 40 years. 
But I understand that this is a very personal opinion, and I recognize that not only is this issue well executed, but some people might even like it. And so, I'm giving X-Men Before the Fall, Heralds of Apocalypse, a skim it. I love Apocalypse. And I'm with you. This isn't bad. I liked some of it when it started. I'm glad that Apocalypse is coming back. But it's also exhausting. It's just exhausting. And it's really so tiring. And when we introduce an entire another race of, I mean, I guess they're mutants. Let's call them mutants. An entire another race of mutants. It kind of cheapens the already heaping amounts of mutants that we have out there. Right. And I'm just, I, I agree. I'm sort of done with this. And maybe we could have done this in the past and it was time travel and that's where all these mutants were and stuff and, and they were wiped away and that's why Apocalypse is so friggin' mad or whatever, you know? Fine. I, I don't need more of this. I just don't. And it seems like they're shutting the door on it. Maybe. It seems like this sort of shuts the door on that chapter. Well, see, I don't know. I think this kind of kicked the door wide I open. Maybe, but like he says something to this character and they're like, no, you go your way. I'm going mine. And he goes, okay, I'm walking away from this part of my life then. So. Yeah. It I just seems hope- like if they were going to, if they're making this an entire prelude chapter of the fall of X, then it's got to have something to do with that. Uh, probably. I hope this is the last we ever see of this shit. <laughs> you know? And they're just like, and that went away. So, but apocalypse yeah. is back. Here we are. I'm giving it a skimming as well. There's nothing wrong with the book other than it's, it's fine. It's, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's just exhausting. Like, like seriously, you don't think that there are enough asshole mutants in the right. mutant population that we already had. Yeah. That they could have said, Let's go to Mars, guys, and you can party up there. Like they could have done the exact same well, and stuff. Not just that. It, it's like they're this whole race, and I know we're supposed to feel disconnected from them because they're alien or, or whatever, or time displaced. I don't fully even remember so, what they uh, are. They, uh, in ancient times, time Arako. Out. Time out. I don't want to know either. Okay. Oh, that is how little I care. Okay, <laughs> sure. This was the point I'm making, and. Not to mention that they're all assholes. All of them. They're right. all assholes. So you're not doing anything to make me care more about them. You know, I get Apocalypse is an asshole. Apocalypse is a bad guy. He's a special kind of asshole. You know, he's the ultimate Darwinist. So should be. I don't need a whole race of those guys. It takes away from Apocalypse. It's not even. Yeah, he's not even acting like that, though. No, he's not. Right? I mean, just, it, yeah, this is exhausting. It's a skim it. And. So far, all of these before the fall, there has not been one of them where I've been like, shit, I'm glad I read that. That has informed me to something that's coming. Uh, I will say this, though. Next week is uh, the origin of the four different uh, sinister clones, which I am interested. That'll be fun, but we'll see if it actually has anything to do with anything. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. The bottom the bottom line for me is that when you tell me that there's a, a second civilization of mutants that originated on Earth but were then dimensionally displaced for, I don't know, thousands and thousands of years. That's a very easy way for me to go. Well, then I don't care. Yeah, exactly. I don't care about any of them, any of them, (laughs) not even the one that's married to Cypher. I don't give a crap. I would rather read a good story about angel. Hell, I'd rather read a good story about maggot. (laughs) Oh, I would definitely rather read a good story about maggot.
We got links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one comic that didn't need a demonic Iron Man suit to impress us. Matt, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection? I gotta pick Ultimate Invasion, number one, because it surprised me so goddamn much. It surprised the hell out of me. Joe, I don't care about the Ultimate Universe. I don't. And this made me go, oh shit. I got to see what's going on there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, it won me over. I, it, I was surprised. You know, I'm kind of stunned, but I'll take it. I'll count that as a victory for me. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, for me, it's got to be the Incredible Hulk. It was, it blew me away. This, this new Incredible Hulk. It was great. I cannot wait for more. It was definitely great. I just feel like I need to wait a little bit to see where they go with it because if it's just a continuation of the green door stuff then look somebody else already sold all those seats somebody did all the hard well work i but i think the whole point is that the green door is shut that's the thing right. they say at the very beginning right. and they repeat it throughout the thing is that it's not a continuation the green door is shut which is why the mother of horror is a, has woken up that's not over there i loved it read them read them both read them both and time will tell ask me again in six months or four months or however long this ultimate invasion thing is and then I might revise my answer because I am loving it so far. It's got stiff competition. Sure, sure. Before we head out to the fireworks tent to stock up for our annual 4th of July ziggurat fireworks spectacular, and this year is flash themed, so everything is going to go off in an irresponsibly quick succession, and you can bet one of us is getting disfigured. And just like the Flash movie, we are hyping it up as the best goddamn thing you've ever seen. What could possibly go wrong <laughs> we if it's based to, on the Flash? We need to set these kids up with our must-read picks for next week. Joe Patrick, what are you picking up? Next new comic book day Wednesday. July the 5th, if we can still read. (laughs) If we can still read, yeah. Uh, God bless America, Matt. My pick of the week is Night Terror's First Blood, number one. (laughs) From DC Comics, nothing says I love the USA like Night Terror's. Sure, sure. It's $5.99. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. Here's your solicit. Night Terror's starts here. When Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman find the body of one of their earliest enemies, oh, you know what? I bet the body they find is Dr. Destiny. Mm. Thus linking my theory to the new villain. Hey! When they find the body of one of their earliest enemies inside the Hall of Justice, their investigation takes them past the land of the living, beyond the land of the dead, and directly to a new villain called Insomnia who uses his powers to engulf every single hero and villain in their own dark and twisted nightmares. The only way to save the world is to call for the help of an unlikely hero. Dead man. The thrills and chills of night terrors are brought to the DC universe by DC architect. Wow. And superstar writer, Joshua Williamson with horrific art by comics legend, Howard Porter. You know what? I'm going to give all those honor fix to those guys. They deserve them. Totally. Uh, you know, we've we've had a little bit of fun at the expense of the Night Terrors event. We're not exactly thrilled at the prospect of 22-issue miniseries that are interrupting the flow of most of the books we love, yeah. but I'm on board for the main series for sure. Yeah, we love these creators, and I think they're going to tell a good story. I think DC just went a little nuts with the marketing. Yeah, 
I mean, we'll, time will tell. We'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah. But I have at least medium-sized hopes for this kickoff issue by Williamson and Porter. Let's do it. Yeah, maybe they're all- And I'm super happy that Howard Porter is getting this high-profile work. Yeah, maybe they're all great. Who knows? My pick for next week is Weird Work, number one from Image. It's $4.99. It's written by Jordan Thomas with art by Shaky Kane. Here is your solicit. Legendary British artist Shaky Kane, the bulletproof coffin, and writer Jordan Thomas, who worked on Frank at Home on the Farm, which does not get all caps. Sorry, Jordan. Because it's not an image book. That's how it works. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. If it's the same publisher, it's in all caps. If okay. it's a different publisher, it's lowercase. And if it's in all caps, I'm screaming it. Are your guides through the corrupt CD streets of Stellar City in their new miniseries? Now, why did they capitalize miniseries? I don't know. <laughs> and how come they didn't say miniseries premiere in the very beginning like, like they normally do? Pain- because Shaky Kane bucks all convention. I guess so. The hard-boiled noir of L.A. Confidential mixes with the bright, alien-filled worlds of Futurama in this crime epic. Following months of gang shootings, Detective Ovra Sauce, yeah, Sauce, S-A-W-C-E, is paired with a new partner on a triple homicide. But what were a billionaire's assistant, a hood-turned-cult leader, and Sauce's former partner doing in that warehouse? I'm picking this because I love Shaky Kane. <laughs> yeah, Shaky Kane love is a weird total weirdo. And this is a he's per- a weirdo that makes weirdo comics for yep. weirdos. And this is a yeah. perfect weirdo story for him. I yep. am in. Should be great. The THN trade of the week for July 5th is Clark and Lex. It's a graphic novel from DC Comics. It's written by Brendan Reichs with art by Jerry Gaylord. It's 160 pages for $12.99. Here's your solicit. Struggling with understanding why his parents demand he hide his amazing superpowers, Clark has no problem using a bit of super speed or super strength to give himself that extra edge as quarterback of the football team or while doing his chores around the farm. And when LexCorp holds a competition to find the best and brightest for a summer internship in Metropolis... Clark decides to use his x-ray vision in order to cheat his way in, especially since it might provide the means of getting out of Smallville. Amazingly, Clark is not the only competitor with special abilities. Just ask his newfound friend, Lex Luthor! But as the kids go missing one by one, the boys realize the competition may not be all it seems. Can Clark put aside his pride for the sake of the team and become the friend and leader they'll need to overcome Luther Corp's ambitions? Earlier in the... Oh, you know what? It does say Luther Corp. I apologize. I'm used to referring to it as Lex Corp. That's on me. From New York Times bestselling author Brendan Reichs and artist Jerry Gaylord comes a fresh twist to a familiar face that is sure to keep you on the edge of your seat. So I picked this because um, DC does a great job with their all ages and young adult material. A fantastic job. And I also love the kind of silver age status quo where Lex grew up or spent part of his childhood in Smallville, which is something that they keep retconning in and out of the Superman mythos. They like, they can't decide sometimes he's there. Sometimes he's not. And so I love this kind of, uh, this, this slight little twist on that where it's like Clark and Lex are friends when they're growing up and, I think it looks fun. I think the story sounds great. That's why I picked it. I love that you love it. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Look, man, you, we've read books for all ages and enjoyed them. So That's what's fine. your damn problem? It's not for me. 
If you want to read these comics along with us, do your patriotic duty. Add them to your pull file. It's what Captain America would do. Both Sam and Steve. Not John Walker, though. That guy's an asshole. It's what Captain's America would do, I guess. Captain's America, yes. Finally, we come to the most important part of the show, according to Matt. It's the part where we tease you with our THN Patreon Extra, and then, like any good drug dealer, we make you pay for it if you want more. We're calling this week's Extra Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Mystery Extra. (laughs) If you want to find out the secret behind the mystery, you can hear the whole segment when you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. Or is it the mystery behind the secret? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, There's a lot going, going on there. there. There's a, yeah. The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. This was a comic series licensed by Marvel in 1982. It ran 34 issues, ending in 85. As part of the licensing agreement, the Marvel creators had to get the scripts approved by LucasArts. Which Probably by Lucas. Film. I don't know. Maybe it changed, but there's in all the wiki shit that it says LucasArts. I don't know. All right. Well, again, too much sausage making. Anyway, okay. But. Approved by LucasArts or Lucasfilm, which led... George Lucas personally, yes. let's say. <laughs> which led to issues with John Byrne, who was supposed to write and draw the entire series. After issue two, Byrne left because of this strict editorial rules from Lucas who actually wanted the third issue of the series by Denny O'Neill and Gene Day to be the first issue after the falling out with Byrne. Now, when we get to the third issue, you're going to find out why that doesn't make any sense, and maybe they weren't paying attention at LucasArts or LucasFilm at all, but we'll get there. There may have been some editorial magic. (laughs) Yeah. Marvel printed the burn issues, but he had worked on another indie story called The Sentinel that never got printed outside of including a pinup from the story in the pages of Marvel Movie Spotlight featuring Raiders of the Lost Ark number one. That was the deep, the direct adaptation of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. These stories take place after Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1936, and according to Lucasfilm, they are official indie canon. Sure. Yep. <laughs> why not? Five I mean, of, why not? Yeah. Five of the story arcs were even licensed from Marvel and LucasArts for the TSR Adventures of Indiana Jones RPG released in 1984. Outside of back issue bins, the only way to find these comics today is the Dark Horse Omnibus Edition from 2010 or eBay, where they aren't too expensive. Joe Patrick, let me ask you, how much would you guess a copy of number one of this series in CGC 9.8 condition and an unslabbed complete run of 1 through 34 sold recently. CGC 9.8, number one first. What do you think? I'm going to say for the CGC number one, 50 bucks because that's kind of seem people seem to bake the cost of grading the book in with their auction prices. So I'm going to guess 50 bucks. Fair enough. Actually went for. Price is right rules. Well, I went over by a dollar, but I I think I I win that. I'm going to give it to you. Um, A complete run, unslab, going to say 10 bucks. This one's going to shock you. 
$225 for the complete oh, run. Oh, why? But why? Because apparently there's some issues in there that had freaky low print runs later on in the series. Yeah, that would make sense. When it wasn't selling at all. <laughs> and they were like, oh, crap. What, why sure, are we yeah, yeah, yeah. This No, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so, 200 and some bucks. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. Apparently Good it's, for it's fairly tough. Now, before we- George get, Lucas's personal copies, I'm sure. Probably. So let's get right on into it, shall we? With issue number one, the icons of Ikamamnen, we'll say. I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Ikamamnen, yeah. Ikamamnen. This was written and drawn by John Byrne, covered by Terry Austin. Inks were also by Terry Austin. Nothing against Terry Austin because it's a pretty good cover, but- It's not bad. Why didn't John Byrne draw the cover? (laughs) Well, that is a question, and it leads me to think that Byrne had turned in these scripts, and they were going back and forth with a lot of the editorial stuff before the covers were done. And yep, Byrne was yep. like, I'm out of here. Screw you guys. Yep. I'm done. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Yes. <laughs> so let's just launch right into it. We basically, this is Indy at school, you know, being a professor, opens much like Rachel Lost Ark does, only here he is whipping the cigarette out of a female student's mouth because he, quote, needs practice, which- So irresponsible. Seems- Holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like- grounds for legal action i'm sure yeah it seems a little let's just talk about john burns indiana jones for a minute here because like okay we know harrison ford we all loved indiana jones he was a freewheeling archaeologist nerd while he's at school but like hard-edged tough guy when he's out in the field doing things but you know at his core he's a scientist i would argue john burns indy is closer to inspector gadget where he kind of bumbles his way into things, but he's definitely super heroic, like not afraid to just jump out of a window. You know what? That's kind of it. That's movie Indiana Jones too. I think Harrison Ford does a lot of heavy lifting as far as like persona goes. I do. I agree. Think back at those movies and Indiana Jones locks out 90% of the time. Sure. Absolutely. You know, he like gets by on his own grit and whatever, but here it's just like, it seems to me, and I think this will become a theme with some of the other writers that we bump into as well. They're all superhero guys and they're famous superhero guys that wrote famous kick-ass superhero stuff. And these comics, unlike the movies where they'd always have a kick-ass scene where it's like, well, Dr. Jones, uh, are you an expert on the Ark of the Covenant? He's like, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, let me open this giant book and go into the history of what happened and everything as the music rises up and uh, show you how brainy I am. No research is done for these comics whatsoever. <laughs> None. <laughs> well, and also there's no there's no way to do a character does research to the tune of I don't mean the music. character doing the research. I'm talking about the oh. creators coming up with ideas based on actual archaeological finds or history. This is just the icons of oh, well, Icamemnon, but, which are just made up gold mummies that come well, to but, life. I, but think of it though. <laughs> I, I like it, it had to be like that. It, the Dark Horse books are the same. They're not all the Holy Grail. Not They're all not them. all the Ark of the... But like, they did do like the Spear of Destiny and stuff like that. The fate of Atlantis. You Atlantis know, like is the, a real thing that like, comes from mythology. It's though. a real legend. I yeah. get it. But I, I mean, I bet you that you got to make up a lot of myths. I if you're don't disagree. Do an ongoing Indiana Jones. Adventure. Sure. I'm just saying like at no point was I like, oh yeah, there's Indy showing off his archaeologist skills. It was just like, oh... The icons of Archimemnon, yeah, those are the gold mummies that come to life and get revenge on people, right? Like, yep, they're in a mountain. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 709. Next week, we're going on a short summer vacation, but we will be back the week of July 17th with our Nerd News Recap Show. In the meantime, join Joe on the Cover to Cover Gang Hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. Unless he says he can't make it on the Discord, you guys are still welcome to hang and gang and do what we do there, you know? Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, tell them what else they can do at our Discord. Maybe you want to see how the sausage is made and follow Matt and I while we read our comics in real time. Hey, guess where we do that? We've got episode discussion threads dedicated for just that purpose. That's right. It's an all new feature on the Discord. We want you to participate. Please, for the love of God, Matt is despondent. (laughs) You can see it unfold in real time. Anything that you read or learn or have questions about either leading up to or following each episode do it in this discussion threads baby or maybe you just want to answer the question of the week this week's question was inspired by our foray into comic book movie adaptations what are the best or the worst comic books based on movies now they can be straight up adaptations of a movie like DC's Superman for the quest for peace I love that you picked that one <laughs> or original stories set in the world of the films. For example, Marvel's The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, episode Synergy. Which properties have nailed it, and which ones do you wish would do it better? We do need your question of the week suggestions, so please keep those coming. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments, or you can send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the Ding Dang Show. If you're new to this show and you can't get enough of that Ding Darn symbiote stuff and you think we're crazy for talking smack on it, I assure you, it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN or digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like Joe Rankley, who everyone knows is the best-looking Joe in the ziggurat. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash, you guessed it, Two-Headed Nerd. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Nicholas Holt. You were one hell of a beast in X-Men First Class. Matt loves you in The Great, and you were easily the best part of Renfield, even though the trailer was a lot better than the film. Yeah. Unfortunately, buddy, you're no Superman. Holt came in second for the role. Well, we don't know if he was second, but he didn't get it. That's the rumor. Behind David Corn Sweat. Don't call him Corn Sweat because that's rude. Gross. More on that, though, in this week's Nerd News Recap. But there are rumors that Nick could land the role of Lex Luthor. Word to you, Nikki, and don't give up. The Green Lantern casting calls right around the corner. Yeah, there's like 70 of them. You can get in there somewhere. Right? I mean, maybe you're not Hal, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, probably not John Stewart. Let's yeah. not cross any lines. I mean, probably not, but I mean, hey. You make a great kilowog. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might kick you in the poozer. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. Gross.